Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Now, I got to warn you, it's a long one. So get a sip of coffee, shake out the shoulders, take a couple of deep cleansing breaths, and whatever you do, do not lock your knees. All right? Our EMT is out of town this week, so you're on your own. All right. Oh, and by the way, Randy better be watching this morning if he can, so I hope he is. All right. For the fall, we're resuming a series uh, that I started at the start of the year, the book of Acts, the expansion of the church, and, and what, those, what those very first Christians did to bring, the, to bring the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit into the world. So we did chapters 1 through 9 in the, in the early months of the year. Now we're going to finish out the year with chapters 10 through 28. Today starts chapter 10, and it's a long chapter, but this is so key. It is, actually, it's a seminal chapter for the remainder of the book. And the story here, the history here is so important. I wanted to cover the entire thing today. So this is God's Word to us today, Acts chapter 10. Buckle up for the ride. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. He contained, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Parenthetical note, those are all animals forbidden the Jewish kosher dietary laws. I've never eaten anything impure that God has not made clean, or excuse me, Surely not, Lord, I have never eaten anything impure and clean. The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? 
The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him. And everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. 
Father God, may you honor the reading of your word with hearing, with understanding, with the work of your Holy Spirit to bring similar conviction and similar assurance that you have called all into relationship with you, that you do not show favoritism, but that your grace is poured out on all flesh through faith in Jesus and his saving work on our behalf. Father God, I ask for the work of your Holy Spirit among us now who are in this place in these moments as we have gathered today. Lord, you know every name, you know every history, every story, every situation, every circumstance. You know what we are going through. And Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to take your word and to to speak to each soul gathered here today as well as those online, now or at a later time of your determination. I pray for you to speak, to, to bring your good news to bear on lives that are filled with doubt and fear and hopelessness and confusion or arrogance or smugness or elitism, complacency, whatever it may be, Lord. I pray, Lord, from these moments of worship and our time in worship, especially our time in worship through attention to your word, your spirit will speak and move our hearts and our minds, drawing us closer to you. Lord, help us repent of sin initially to come to faith to you. Help us repent of sin that just continues to bog us down and wear us down. And, and Lord, help us, help us just resist that and, and to move forward. Lord, for those who are discouraged and filled with doubt or just uh, despair because of the state of the world or the state of life or the state of our physical health or whatever it is, Lord, assure us with your words of truth. As always, Lord God, I ask for my words not to get in the way of your word, but for you to speak, to work, to bring glory to yourself as Jesus is lifted up as Lord of all, especially us. And it's in his name we pray, O Father God, as our Savior, as our Lord. Amen. May be seated. This chapter is so important because it really does set the stage for the entire rest of the book. The book of Acts is the story of how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, a Jewish itinerant preacher, a a walker of the Judean and the Galilean countryside, how this backwater, relative, completely unknown preacher is now the most known name in all of creation. Jesus is the one about whom more words have been written More songs have been sung. More ink has been used on printed page. Jesus is the name who has been uttered the most on people's lips over this entire planet throughout history. Jesus continues to be the one who is the dividing line of our system of time measurement. They've changed it from B.C. to A.D. because, well, B.C. means before Christ and A.D. means Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And those who reject Jesus can't admit that he's the year of the Lord. So instead of those letters, they just now have its B.C.E. and C.E. What is B.C.E.? Before common era. C.E. is the common era. 
Oh, what is it that makes the era common? Oh, yeah, that would be Jesus. Uh, the, the more the, 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 the academics, the intellectuals, the elites, they, the more they try to dismiss Jesus and get rid of Jesus, the more he keeps popping up and, and the more prevalent and prominent and powerful he is. Jesus continues to be the name above every name, even amidst a planet and a world system that completely rejects him. So how did this, this unknown Jewish preacher, teacher, miracle worker come to be the most revered and reviled name in all of human history? He is the reason we are sitting here, standing here, walking here, listening here in this time zone, in this time place right now, because the Jewish preacher was so much more. And he transcended Judaism because of Gentiles becoming believers. The entire trajectory of human history, human evolution, whatever you want to call it, was changed because of this chapter in the book of Acts. The coming to faith in Jesus of the Gentiles. I want to track back the whole story of this. The book of Acts begins after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. After Jesus returned to life after being buried, declared dead, being deceased, he arose. He talked. He appeared. He spoke. He was touched. He even ate. Over a period of 40 days, he met with his disciples, as Peter says, those who were chosen to be witnesses. Over a period of 40 days, he met with them and talked to them about the kingdom of God. After this intense training period was over, Jesus commissioned those disciples with taking the message of his saving work to the whole world. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus was not just the Jewish Messiah. He was humanity's Messiah. And his message was for all Jews and all Samaritans and all Gentiles. The mission bestowed upon the disciples was not merely testifying about the resurrection so that people would believe in him. One of the, one of the, the travesties of, of more contemporary Christianity is that we have limited salvation or we've, we've limited faith to mere belief. And as long as I believe, then that's all she wrote. That's good enough. That's never what the Scriptures say. Belief must always be life-encompassing. Belief must bring obedience. Belief must bring allegiance. Belief must bring life change. Belief is all-encompassing all of life. So the mission that Jesus gave those disciples was not just, hey, get people to believe, convince them that I rose from the dead. 
so they can go to heaven when they die. That's, that's eviscerating the good news because that takes away the good news and places the good news only at a future time. It eviscerates it from the here and now. Jesus has good news for us today in the things that we're struggling because he is Lord and he has given life. So the commission given to the disciples was, yes, get them to believe, but it was so much more. It was also teaching them to obey, teaching them how, as disciples of Jesus, to put into practice those things he taught, those really exceptionally tough, counter-cultural, counter-intuitive teachings. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When it's so much easier just to love yourself. But Jesus covers that. He says, yeah, I love your neighbor as you love yourself. And it's like, ah, it's pretty tough because I love myself and all. And we all do. No matter how much we may deride ourselves and look down on ourselves, we, we all have that, that sense of love for self. That's to be the standard of loving others. That's virtually impossible to do on human nature alone. Then Jesus ramps it up even more. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is the standard, no longer the self. So we get our feelings completely out of the way and we, we love one another as Jesus has loved us. And then Jesus offers a postdoctoral fellowship in love when he says, love your enemies completely impossible on human nature alone. But that's what Jesus calls us to. And being Christian is, is we're being taught to obey those things, to do one to others, to turn the other cheek, to humble yourself, to submit yourself to the will of God, and so much more. The Great Commission is lined out in the Gospel of Matthew. Just further explanation of what the mission of the disciples was. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very, always to the very end of the age. That's the mission. The very first time Jesus was publicly declared to be both Lord and Messiah was in the Jewish temple. Not too long after that 40-day period when, when Jesus concluded that period and was ascended back into heaven, the disciples went to the Jewish temple, the epicenter of, of Judaism in Jerusalem, the Jewish faith. And there among the crowds, they testified that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, because God raised him from the dead. This happened during the celebration of Pentecost, a huge religious celebration that drew faithful Jews from every corner of the Roman Empire. The initial response was amazing. 3,000 people that day repented of their rejection or their dismissal of Jesus 
They repented toward faith in saying, yes, Jesus is Lord and Messiah. And with that new faith, they were then baptized. They pledged allegiance to him in the act of baptism. They're publicly with witnesses in the temple, the epicenter of Judaism. They understood their allegiance to the God they were worshiping was now to God's Son as the avenue through which every blessing and every promise of Yahweh is fulfilled. As they were baptized, they became new creations through the forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit was powerfully moving among them in those days. The new believers created new communities centered around what I always refer to as the core four. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. The apostles' teaching was learning from the apostles more about what Jesus said and what he did, what he taught, what he did to demonstrate his love. To the fellowship is that, is that, that union. We all have things that unite and divide us. Most of the things that unite us are relatively shallow. We are united by first by our, our nationality. We are Americans, and that's a very strong bond. That's good. But virtually everything after that can divide us. So we look for other things to unite us. We have certain interests or special interests. We have hobbies. We have certain social status or social standing. We have sports teams that unite us. My sports teams won yesterday, so it's a good Sunday. And the Seahawks don't play until next week. Um, but we have these things that unite us, but in the, in the end, they're very shallow. But when two people are united by the Holy Spirit regenerating their spirit, that bond is deeper than anything else this world offers. We're connected for eternity. This fellowship. That, that's why Christians, when practicing and fully availing themselves to what this, how the Spirit leads and what Jesus wants, that's why Christians as the church, the people who belong to God through faith in Jesus, are the most integrated, most diverse assembly of people on this planet. You see, the racial divides no longer matter. The economic divides no longer matter. The socioeconomic divides no longer matter. Sports allegiances, hard to say, but they don't matter. That's how Jesus brings us together. Thank you. Appreciate it. The breaking of bread is the sharing of communion, but it's also so much more. It's, it's, it's being able to eat together. Because honestly, when you, when you share a meal with someone, you are inviting them into a deeper relationship of life. Hospitality is so much more than just hosting or feeding people. It is a sharing of life and then to prayer. The scriptures say that these core four practices were done just about every day in, in homes throughout Jerusalem. But they also can happened in the temple as well. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That 3,000, 
that the next time the author of the book of Acts records a number, it's the number 5,000. That refers just to the number of men who believed, who switched their allegiance from self or whatever else it was, their allegiance to Jesus alone and his lordship. With 5,000 men believing in Jesus, that first that first gathering of churches within the first few months or the first year of the gospel being preached, the church was probably well over ten or 15,000 people in a city of about 100,000. After that, Luke stops using numbers because it was too many to count. He just goes to, to such descriptive terms as a great number or increased or increased rapidly. The church was growing exponentially. But even with such incredible growth, the church remained anchored in and around Jerusalem. Even though Jesus had told his disciples, go from Jerusalem to Judea, which is basically kind of the state, you know, the city of the state. Go to Samaria, the neighboring country, filled with all sorts of socio-religious political drama. Go there and to the ends of the earth. But since the church was so anchored and centered in Jerusalem, God allowed persecution to rise up against the church to push them out of Jerusalem. Read in the first verse of chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Saul, the person who made a brief appearance in the earlier chapter, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Have Jesus, will travel. That's what they did. One of the disciples, a man named Philip, fled to Samaria the first to actually kind of go where Jesus told him to go, even though he wasn't one of the original uh, 12 disciples. He preached, he taught, told people about Jesus, and many Samaritans came also to have allegiance to Jesus. Now, the Samaritans, they were considered half-Jews because their bloodlines, they had intermingled with other nations back throughout history. And because of this status, many Jews considered them actually worse than Gentiles. See, the Jewish mindset divided the world into Jews and Gentiles. So you had ethnically, you're Jewish, or every other ethnicity in the world was simply Gentile. And Gentiles were disdained. They were considered outside of the people of God. They were looked down upon. But the Samaritans held a special place of dishonor because of their ethnic heritage. And so many people in Jewish circles considered them less than Gentiles. But now, these less than Gentiles, these half-blood, half-breed Jews, they too were learning about Jesus as their Messiah. And they too were believing in the very same Jesus that all of the Jewish believers believed in. And they were baptized but in Acts 8, we get one difference. Those Samaritans who were baptized, 
did not receive the Holy Spirit. And spirit and the, the, the language there doesn't say specifically, but it seems to be that those Samaritans did not receive the miraculous manifestation or the ability of the Holy Spirit to speak in other tongues or have other demonstrable acts. But word got back to the apostles in Jerusalem. Peter and John then go to Samaria to check out the situation and lay hands on the Samaritans upon which at that moment, then yes, they too receive the, 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 evidently the physical manifestations of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, being able to speak in tongues, things like that. Even though the text doesn't say that, the apostles were there to confer, to demonstrate, to confirm that yes, the Samaritans were fully included among the people of God, just like all the Jews. It confirmed their inclusion in this new community. But now it was time for the ends of the earth. The most crucial step in the expansion of the gospel would be the inclusion of the Gentiles. This was actually God's plan from the beginning. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis. When God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees to, to believe in him and to follow him, God gave Abram a promise, and the, the promise is rather lengthy, and it's, it's, very, it's, it's just a beautiful, amazing promise. But including that promise is that through you, all the nations on earth will be blessed. God's plan was never just to create a people known as the Jews and have them alone be his people amongst all the others in the world. It was calling them in order to eventually have them, through them, come a blessing for all peoples. Jesus, as Lord of all. The ends of the earth had to include the Gentiles. Because up to this point, Every believer in Jesus was simply an ethnic Jew at the end of the day. The Gentile chosen by God for this enormous step was a Roman military centurion. A centurion, hence the word century, commanded 100 soldiers. This man's name was Cornelius. We read that he was devout. He was generous in, in the giving of money to those in need. He was prayerful. He is called a God-fearer. And even though <clears throat> he was a Gentile, there were many Gentiles, tens of thousands probably at that time in the world, who were very attracted to Judaism. Judaism was a monotheistic religion. The, the, the Roman pagan religions, the Greek pagan religions, and the, all the other religions of the empire were all polytheistic hundreds of gods, thousands of gods that worshiped in different ways. But there was a beauty and a power of a singular, solitary God with a clearly defined moral code. And that did attract many people out of the Roman Empire. So he was what was called a God-fearer. It means he was a Jew in most outer respects with one big exception. He never got circumcised. That seemed to be a stumbling block for a lot of people. Understandably so. So the magnitude of this step is seen in the extraordinary intervention of God through visions. 
to both Cornelius and then to Peter. God speaks to Cornelius first, then he appears and speaks to Peter. You see, because to overcome or to welcome in the Gentiles, Peter had some pretty severe prejudices to overcome. Like every good Jew, he would deem a Gentile as unclean. They were prohibited from entering a Gentile's house. They were prohibited from sharing a table or sharing a meal with a Gentile who was not clean according to the customs and the rituals and the rites and the ceremonies of Judaism. And up to this point, the church was entirely, exclusively, ethnically Jewish. But Peter goes, he knows God has spoken to him. We see all of the details that are arranged and that God has worked out and the timing was down to a perfect T. And Peter speaks to Cornelius, his family, and evidently others of the household, relatives, and there was evidently a quite a large group there. We have no idea how many people were in this house. But the centurion's quarters were probably pretty, pretty, uh, pretty large. And in the midst of Peter telling them about Jesus, reciting all of the basics of Jesus' life and his mission, his saving work on the cross, his rising from the dead, the Holy Spirit descends and indwells each of the people in this room, every Gentile. The Holy Spirit was given to the Gentile crowd just as he had been given to the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Now, the visual effect of tongues as of fire, we read back in Acts 2, that's not there. But this Gentile crowd all of a sudden started speaking clearly in languages they had not learned. And yes, they were real languages. That's, that's, that's an important understanding of what the gift of tongues is. They had been given a supernatural ability to speak, one of the prime indicators of the gift of the Holy Spirit here early in the book of Acts. The church, the people belonging to God through faith in Jesus now consisted of Jews and Gentiles. The fellow Jews who had come with Peter were astonished that the, whole, that the Gentiles can be included as well. The Gentiles were probably pretty confused as well as to what was going on. It had to be an amazing scene. It's a scene by which history was changed because the very same Holy Spirit, the Spirit which connects us to God and with one another as fellow believers in Jesus was given to them in the same power not at a discounted rate, not in a partial portion, but in fullness. And we do see some differences in the, 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 the timing of baptism and the reception of the Holy Spirit in Acts 8 with Samaritans and in Acts 10 with Gentiles. But in both of those accounts, it is a direct work of God upon those whom Jesus had commanded his disciples to take the gospel to. And it is confirmation that Jesus is Lord of all, Jew, Samaritan, and Gentile. All three ethnic classifications for the Jewish mindset. And even though the members of Cornelius' household had received the Holy Spirit, Peter said, you still need to be baptized. 
in water because that is a submission to authority. It's part of being a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus does what Jesus tells them to do. Jesus says, get baptized. Placing under authority. We know that throughout the scriptures, the, the, the differentiation or the distinction of baptism and the, the, the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit is usually linked. We see that in Acts 2.38. We know that in, in Ephesians 4. There's only one baptism. But these special circumstances to powerfully, visually demonstrate full inclusion in the kingdom of God is very powerful. So because of a man named Cornelius, Cornelius somehow came to believe in Yahweh as the only God. He left behind most likely his his Roman pagan religions of his upbringing. He became a man of devout faith. And as a man of devout faith, he was generous. He gave. He helped those in need. He prayed evidently regularly and powerfully and consistently. And because of that devotion, God selected him as the first of the Gentiles, the first of most of us. There may be some here with some some Jewish ethnicity in them. I'm not one of them. Northern European, that's if if you can't tell, (laughs) between the, the complexion and the name. We get to be included in God's people as well. Full inclusion because of what Jesus has done for us. There may be some people here who you haven't yet submitted to the lordship of Jesus. That's the call. Jesus is Lord of all. That's my appeal to you today. Join with the millions throughout history who have switched allegiance from the world, from the self, to whatever, to allegiance to Jesus alone. Confess your faith. Get baptized into Christ. Become his disciple. That's the first challenge. If if you need to take that step and that's your decision, let us know on a connection card. But number two, this also deals with some other issues that we've got to address. Do you, like Peter, harbor some prejudices? Perhaps as a Christian, you may have grown into being uh, having a, a concept of, of, of being spiritually elite. It's easy to do when you compare yourself with others sometimes, but it's still wrong. It's still sin. Repent. We have nothing of our own to offer. We have only the grace, the goodness of God bestowed upon us. So no prejudices religiously, ethnically, socioeconomically. Sports prejudices are still okay because they're outside the realm. realm. But for everything of real importance, in Christ, there, there is in Christ and there is outside of Christ. That's the only distinction. And there is to be no elitism. There is to be no disdain for those outside of Christ. There is only to be compassion and empathy, and prayer, and a zeal to communicate that Jesus is their Lord as well, and that he offers them life. God does not show favoritism and partiality. All are welcome. 
and included in the kingdom? Is there someone that you're hesitating to talk to about Jesus? And if you're a little bit concerned about that, let me recommend this. Well, first off, why are you concerned? Are you embarrassed? Do you think you may not know enough? Do you think you may lose a friendship? Those are all valid concerns. So pray up. But one thing we can take from this text is if there is somebody who's really on your heart that you want to talk to Jesus about, start praying about it like Cornelius did (laughs) and start giving generosity. It doesn't have to be the church. It's not an appeal for money. But start moving in your heart to a generosity to those in need. And God may just intervene like he did in the life of Cornelius. You see, generosity creates a lot of conversation and a lot of opportunity. Just maybe an area, an avenue in which God can work. And then the last one, I didn't have a place on the notes for it, but number four, if there is someone you think is too far from God or someone you've written off of ever becoming a Christian, don't underestimate the gospel. Because at the end of the day, if God has chosen you and has saved you, God can choose and save anyone. We are not the arbiter of who's in and who's out. That's up to the work of God. So if there's somebody that's on your list, pray even harder for them. I'd like to have Tay and the team come back up as we prepare for a time of worship through communion. Communion is where we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. But in this act of communion, it's very individual, but it's also very communal. Because, see, it unites us all together. We have different backgrounds and histories, and we have different faith backgrounds. We have different, different skin tones and skin colors. We have different economic situations, different econo- uh, educational backgrounds, and all of these things. But Jesus unites us. He's brought us together as one. And it's one of the most beautiful things in the world that everything the world throws at us to divide us is completely unimportant and irrelevant because of the unity and the union we have in Jesus. So would you please stand as we prepare to sing, use this time to to praise God, to simply maybe pray silently, to repent of any sin that may be harboring in your heart or affecting your life. Rejoice at the total forgiveness available through Jesus. And take a moment to look around and know this. You're not alone. It's not all about you. It's all about what Jesus has done. And he is the Lord of all. After the song is done, you can simply come forward and pick up one of the elements of communion if you would like to partake. As a church, we offer communion to all who consider themselves Christians and followers of Jesus. There's no, there's no set name list. There's no police checking. You know, if you're on the right roster, this is between you and the Lord. But if you would like to partake of communion, please do so, whether your faith is small, whether it's strong, anything in between.